Good morning, friends and members of Cross Life. My name's Rob. I'm a pastoral assistant here, and I'll be sharing God's word with you this morning. If you were to write a book called The Normal Christian Life, what would be your main theme? Would it be the Christian life is amazing or, wow, it's hard? The Christian life is filled with joy or, wow, the Christian life's got a lot of sadness in it. You know, there was a a Chinese man who wrote a book called The Normal Christian Life. His name is Watchman Nee or in Chinese, Ni Toshang. He was born in China in 1903, and he was a very famous Chinese pastor, lecturer, and author. He went throughout China preaching the gospel, set up churches around, uh, all, in all kinds of areas in China. He did that for 30 years, and then something happened. 1949, the Chinese communists took over, and He spent the next 20 years, the last 20 years of his life, either being persecuted or in prison. And he's a guy who writes the normal Christian life. So what is the normal Christian life? I'm not going to tell you his answer. I want you to think first for your own answer. I'll I'll share his answer with you at our end of our talk today. But let's see, what is the normal Christian life? You know, in the world today, there are lots of different narratives of what the normal Christian life might look at. Now, there are some people who say the normal Christian life is the good life. Healthy, wealthy, self-realized. Everything's going great. But on the other side, there are people who say, no, the normal Christian life, man, that's self-denial. It's kind of sadness. It's, you, you, better, you better be prepared for the worst. I remember a lady I used to visit, an elderly lady in Wisconsin. Uh, she was pretty bitter. Uh, she was in a long-term care facility. Her husband had left her. She was lonely. At the end of every talk, I, I visit I had with her, she said something like this, Pastor, you take what you get and shut up. Oh, have a good day too. <laughs> There's other people who are the don't Christians. Um, Don't drink beer, don't smoke, don't eat barbecue. Oh, maybe there's not many of those Christians in Texas, but (laughs) the don't Christians. And there's other people who say, no, 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 it's not about don't, it's all about experiencing. These people, maybe you have friends, maybe yourselves. You say, well, every day I experience the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Every day, the Holy Spirit's kind of telling me what to do. I can do amazing things through the Holy Spirit. Uh, They kind of wear a T-shirt that says, you know, I speak in tongues, demons fear me. That's one version of the Christian life. Yeah, then there's other people saying, wait a minute, that's way too otherworldly. I'm concerned about this world. I want to make an impact on this world. I'm going to be an activist. I'm going to change the world. I'm going to bring peace and justice and equality for all. Now, all these different versions of the normal Christian life have some amount of truth in them, but I don't think they are the whole of the Christian life. In fact, they got a lot of holes in them. What is the normal Christian life? It's important to know the answer to that because 
things come up in our life we're not expecting. I, again, I was reminded of that last week when I bought a new clothes washer. You know, we used to have the old clunker that was really, really simple. Now it's got electronics in it. And I was pretty happy with it. Okay, we put it in the laundry, run it through the first rinse cycle, you know, shut the door of the, of the laundry. And then my wife and I are sitting in the living room, and then we hear this strange sound. I start to panic. What's going on? And so we run over there, open up the door, and it's just playing a simple little tune, telling me that the wash cycle is done. Whew. If I would have read the stupid manual, I could have saved myself a lot of trouble in a near heart attack. Today, I want to read the manual with you. I want you to be prepared for those things in life that don't always turn out the way we hoped they were, would, would turn out. But we, we're going to look at what the normal Christian life really looks like. And who's the most normal Christian? Well, our Master, our Savior. Jesus Christ. Well, he's normal, but he's also super normal. We're going to look at two events in his life that are going to teach us something about the normal Christian life. What can we as disciples, what can we as followers of Jesus expect? Okay, want to look at those two things with me? Let's start. For being the Son of God, Jesus had a pretty normal childhood. Uh, Mary and Joseph were his parents. They were believers. Um, they took him to the synagogue. When he was 12 years old, they took him to the temple in Jerusalem. And they taught him well. But then, you know, for 18 years, we don't hear anything of what's going on in Jesus' life. But at age 30, we see him. We hear him. And here's what happens. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, we can understand why some people, in fact, many people wanted to be baptized. Uh, they knew God, and they knew their sin. They tried to follow God, but they often failed because of their weakness, maybe their laziness, and maybe their pride. As my old professor liked to say, they knew that they should love people and use things, but it ended up they used people and loved things. They knew they had failed God, and they knew it wasn't right. But here comes John the baptizer preaching a message of repentance and it pricks their consciences. They knew something wasn't right. They wanted to get closer to God and now John offers a baptism of repentance that they could be, they could, they could have a spiritual reboot. Confessing their sins, they could have a new life. Okay, that answers the question, why would they want to get baptized? But what about Jesus? Jesus was not your typical 30-year-old. Now, some of you aren't yet 30. Some of you have been there. I've been there a couple times already. <laughs> uh, I don't know about you, but at age 30, I knew enough about, maybe too much about, temptations of money, sex, uh, spinning the truth, looking out for myself. But Jesus, he never started a fight. 
He never lusted after a woman. In his job as a carpenter, he never once he, he never once hit his thumb with a hammer, I don't think. Maybe, and if he did, he didn't curse. Uh, he didn't cheat on his timesheet. He, he's a good guy. Why would he want to get baptized? You know, Jesus wants to be baptized because baptism is the beginning of the normal Christian life. Even though he has no sin, he wants to be our perfect substitute. He wants to stand with us sinners. You see, Jesus takes our place as a sinner so we can take our place as children of God. So he's baptized. Now, was he immersed in the Jordan River? It's possible. Maybe John used a little water like we use in church. He used a little water, the sprinkling here in church. Yeah, probably I don't see a baptismal tub anywhere. But the main thing, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you use a lot of water or a little water, but no dry cleaning allowed. Use God's word, use God's word, use, use God's water, and we get a new me, a new me, a, a Jesus who is bigger and bigger in our lives as we saw in the children's talk. Okay, Jesus is baptized. Three things happen. Let's go through them quickly. First of all, Heaven is opened. Remember, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they shut, in a sense, shut the door of heaven, shut the door of eternal life. But now God, through Jesus, coming to this world, is going to open the door to eternal life. Jesus is that door. And through that opening, the Holy Spirit then comes down like a dove. A dove is the symbol of peace. The Holy Spirit brings peace and brings power. And let me use a church word. Jesus is anointed to do his saving work. God sets him apart and says, you're my man. You accomplish the work that I've given you. And then finally, we hear the voice. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This is a quote from Psalm 2. And the people at Jesus' time all knew that it referred to the coming Messiah. But they just didn't know which person that was going to be. Here the Heavenly Father makes it certainly clear, perfectly clear, you are my son. Or some of the other gospels say, this is my son. There's no doubt, this is the one, he's the one. He's the one I love with all my heart. And dear brothers and sisters, think about it. Has Jesus done any miracles yet? No, probably not, no. We have none recorded in the Bible. There's some other Gospels that talk about him uh, making a little piece of uh, mud into a, into a bird that flies away. We don't have anything in Scripture like that. He hadn't healed a person. He hadn't given 5,000 people food to eat. He hadn't raised anyone from the dead. He hadn't cast out any demons. He hadn't, in a sense, done anything for God yet. And yet God says, you are my son, I love you. I'm delighted with you. So, brothers and sisters, the normal Christian life begins with baptism. Now, all Christian teachers will tell you it's important to be baptized. Yeah, we must be baptized. But for many Christian teachers, baptism is simply 
I'm going to publicly declare I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. Now, that's not totally wrong, but that's not the key part of baptism. Do you notice here when Jesus was baptized, he didn't claim God as his Father. In fact, he doesn't even say anything. It's the voice from heaven saying, you are my son. In a sense, God the Father is claiming Jesus as his own son. He's always been that, but here he publicly says, yes, you're mine. Brothers and sisters, when you and I are baptized, it's not us raising our hand and saying, yep, I want to be your child. No, it's first God saying, I want you as my child. God claims us as his own child, as his own children. And that's the good news. As Pastor Darren mentioned, baptism isn't something that we do for God. It's something God give, that gives us and does for us. And that's the blessing. That's the blessing. God says, you're my son. You're my son, Jesus. Uh, I see we probably have a number of parents here. I don't know, do we have any first-time parents, like first child, any, any, anyone? Recent, any recent births? No? But obviously you, got, you know some people with a recent birth. Or you remember when you had your first kid, right? What do you and your wife or you and your husband sit around doing? Oh, isn't he cute? Isn't she wonderful? And then they look at each other and say, can you believe it? This is our child. That's the joy. That's the joy of new parents. And that's the joy of your Heavenly Father when he sees you baptized, his own child. He delights in you. Baptism is the beginning of the normal Christian life. See, because God adopts us. Originally, we're outside of the family. He brings us into the family, <clears throat> claiming us as his own. We are his. And our Father lets us know that we are valued. He delights in us. Can I talk to you men? What's the most important thing that you want to hear from your Father? I think it could very well be this. Son, I love you, and I'm proud of you. It took my old-school dad 45 years to tell me that. But I'm thankful he did, because I've never forgotten it. And I hope that many of you have heard that, and maybe you've even told your sons that. So important for boys to be, be told, yes, son, I love you, I delight in you. But even if no one has ever said that to you, your Heavenly Father at your baptism said to you, you're my son. I love you. I delight in you. I love you not because you've accomplished a great number of things. Maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. I love you because Jesus, my son, loves you. And dear, dear sisters, God has blessed you with hearts that love to serve others. But isn't it true that sometimes people don't always appreciate it? Your husband doesn't. He doesn't say it anyway. Your kids, they take it for granted. We serve here in our community or in our church, and sometimes it seems maybe our service goes unnoticed. But our Heavenly Father is here today to tell you, as a baptized daughter of God, I love you. You're my special daughter. I delight in you. I delight in you not because you've done everything perfect. I delight in you because of my son 
who did everything perfect. See, that's the good news that baptism brings us. We're forgiven, we're loved, we're valued. So that's the first part of the normal Christian life. Now, the first chapter of the normal Christian life, that book would start with what? God claims us as his own. But if we were writing this, the, the story of Jesus, what would be the second chapter? I can dream it. Jesus goes on a preaching tour. Hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, millions fill stadiums around Palestine listening to what Jesus is saying. It's an amazing thing. He's got a great band, everything. He goes on to win a Grammy for the best gospel song. He gets an Emmy for best savior in a leading role. And then he wins the Super Bowl. Now that would be a story, huh? But listen to what happens. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Ah, not what we were expecting. Now, there's three temptations. We're going to look at them very briefly and then see how Jesus answered them. So the first temptation happens in a deserted place. In a place emptier than West Texas, after 40 days of no eating, Jesus is hungry. The tempter says, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Hey, Jesus, God just called you his son, right? But what's he done for you recently? Come on, rely on yourself. You're grown up. Use your power. Make something happen. First temptation. Second, it occurs on a high place. Satan takes him to the top of a mountain and gives him a glimpse of what life could be like. Hey, Jesus, you can be the goat. Fame, power, women, all yours. It's here for me to give because all this I will give you, he says. Jesus, you deserve it. No need to work so hard. No need to suffer. All this is mine to give. But then he gives him the, the small print. Uh, uh, if you bow down and worship me. Third temptation. Holy place at the temple in Jerusalem. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. Your father will protect you. He'll send an angel. He says, it's written. You trust God? Well, good for you. You say he's got your back? Well, give him a chance to prove it. Wow. World-class temptations, wouldn't you agree? Whether Jesus is in a deserted place, high place, holy place, he has only one answer. It is written. Turn rocks into bread? No. I live because every word, of God's, every word from God's mouth sustains me. God's word sustains me. I'll trust in him. He'll care for me. Kneel down to you, Satan? No way. It's written, there's only one true God. I will fear, love, and trust in him above all things. And finally, jump without a parachute? I'm not into base jumping. No, I won't take God out on a test drive. I'm not going to test him. I'm not going to force his hand. I trust in him. This was a PhD level temptation from a master tempter. But it's a world class, definitive victory for Jesus. Not just world class, 
universe class. And thank God, because we so easily fall to temptation, but our Savior overcame temptation for us. That's why he's a Savior. Jesus trusted in God's Word. God's Word sustained him. We trust in God's Word, and God's Word will sustain us also. Now, brothers and sisters, baptism is a wonderful thing. But sometimes things happen after baptism. When you got, baptism, got baptized, what were thoughts going through your mind? Besides thankfulness to God and everything, you say, oh, Mom, now finally my life's going to get easier. I was a missionary in Asia for many years, and I often saw this. People, oh, they love to get baptized, just like here. And they said, oh, man, things are going to go so good. But you know what often happened? Maybe they got sick. Maybe a family member got cancer. Maybe they lost a job. And then their family starts talking to him. He said, we knew you shouldn't have followed that Jesus. He's a foreign God. Don't turn your back on our gods. Come on, give it up. Get back to normal. They get it from family. Then they get it inside, that tempting voice that says, see, that's what happens when you follow Jesus. You followed the wrong guy. How are you so stupid? This Jesus can't do anything for you. Forget him. Follow me. Trust me, it's a lot easier. Brothers and sisters, let's be prepared for those kind of moments. They're not going to come to every point, uh, everyone. It's not going to come immediately after your baptism for everyone. It'll come sometimes. You know, we've had so many baptisms here at Cross Life, and we're so thankful for that the last year or two. And we praise God for that. Because in baptism, God claims us. But baptism also like puts a target on our, on our body, and we become a tempting target for Satan himself. Because he doesn't want you connected to Jesus. He wants to disconnect you. He did everything he did before you got baptized to keep you from connecting. Now he wants to disconnect you. So, if you were just baptized, or if you've been baptized a long time already, what do you do when that temptation comes up and says, well, I don't know, did I, did I do the right thing? Can Jesus really, does Jesus really have my back? What do I do? Well, what do disciples do? What do followers of Jesus do? We do what Jesus did. What did he say? It is written. What do we say? It is written. What does God say? You see, we need his truth to deal with the lies that we tell us. We need his spirit to kind of cut through all those half-truths that are out there in the world. And when Satan comes to whisper in our ear, you loser, why did you ever follow Jesus? You say, no, it is written. Serve the Lord and him only. He's my God, he's my Savior, he's my only hope. He's my only hope. You see, that's what Watchman Nee discovered. The communist Chinese government tried to get him to renounce his faith. Remember, almost 20 years in prison. He said, you just say you don't believe in Jesus anymore, and you can return to your normal life. But he said, sorry, I'm not going back to the old normal. I'm clinging to the new normal. And you know what? his normal is the believer dies with Christ 
and then rises with him every day. That's, for him, the normal Christian life. Dying and rising. Neither too optimistic or too pessimistic, but realistic. I agree with his thoughts. I don't know, how about you? How does that match your definition? Yes, as we're baptized, we die with Christ. God brings us back to life, claims us as his own. He allows temptation in our lives to strengthen us. Sometimes we fall, sometimes we fail. But with his help, we get up and we follow. So stand firm. Don't be afraid of things that might happen in your life. Cling to Jesus. Say, it is written. And what is written? I'd like us to read together these words from St. Paul. It is written because these things are, we're going to get you through the times of testing and trial in your lives because they're true. Let's read it together. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, that's the ultimate normal. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.